Welcome to Chapter Chat Online Book Club. I'm Carrie. And I'm Michael. We are speech language pathologists who are passionate about developmentally appropriate practice. Each week, we discuss one chapter from a book related to optimal child development and education reform. Thanks for joining us. And enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. Uh, I am here with my good friend, Mike. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, um, can't complain. I thought we should take a minute and kind of maybe explain to our listeners our absence uh, in the podcast world. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, we have we have had quite a busy summer. We're recording right now, August 18th. Uh, uh-huh. It has been a busy summer for both of us. I, I feel like we've barely been home. I know, I know. So Mike and I have missed seeing each other and talking to each other. And uh, we um, have decided that because we're both so busy with traveling and doing professional development courses and um, just trying to, you know, do the family life too, we're going to change up the format of Chapter Chat. And so we're going to go ahead and we have five chapters or maybe six chapters, six chapters left of our current book, which is Let the Children Play. Uh, Mm -hmm. How more play will save our schools and help children thrive. We are actually still going to go chapter by chapter, but rather than Mike and I having an hour long conversation about one chapter, we are going to speed things up and we are going to start, we think, right, Mike, maybe doing an entire book in one episode. I think that's the best way to do it. I I, I think these books really can be summed up uh, in in a couple of short uh, different ways to discuss different topics from each chapter, yep. and it's still truly chapter chat. We're still still going chapter chapter by chapter, right? But we're making it a little bit easier for you guys to follow along, right? So we're gonna. Our aim is to keep each chapter um, discussion, you know, five to ten minutes, right, and just give you a synopsis of the book. And so Mike and I will read one book a month. We're thinking of uh, this is our plan. We'll see. You never know. Right. Uh, but this is our plan right now, uh, doing one book a month and trying to still give you guys some high quality uh, information about these uh, reference books, but do it in maybe a, a fun and engaging way. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. I feel like with this new format, we can really crank these books out and yeah. crank the episodes out. And all you people who have been following along from the Instagram live days <laughs> and still downloading and still listening while you're on the treadmill or while you're in the car, uh, that really means a lot. And, you know, all the, the Allison Moltons out there and everybody yep. else, yep. Uh, yep. you know, it, it's, it's so kind to have you guys as part of the chapter chat community. And this is, a, you guys are the reason we do this. You guys yeah. are the reason all the messages we get about where's chapter chat, where are the episodes? Right, right. No, we, we haven't gone anywhere. We've just, no. you know, we've just been had a lot of work to do, but yeah. we're here for you guys. And when we started this, I'm just going to, I know I've, I've probably mentioned this before, but we were in the middle of a pandemic and we were on full yeah. lockdown and we couldn't leave our homes. And I mean, I was not uh, working essentially as a professional speaker. So Mike and I had a lot more time during the pandemic and now the world has reopened and we find ourselves struggling to uh, find a time where we're both available. So we appreciate your patience and your loyalty uh, in staying with us. So Mike. I think, I, I, I think we had too much time during the pandemic. I think we were stuck inside a little too much. Yeah. And, I and we, had, we had a little more. too much time on our hands. Couldn't agree more. So Mike, we are actually on chapter five of our book. And so why don't you tell us what the main theme that you took from chapter five was? So the title of chapter five is Why Don't Children Play in School Anymore? So of course, this book right here, 
uh, uh, Let the Children Play by Posse Solberg, the exact same author of Finnish Lessons, one of our earlier books from the Instagram Live days. It's This book is so incredibly similar to that book. Uh, so many of the ideals discussed here. It's the same author, same ideals. Mm-hmm. The book is really about him coming over to America and realizing how much play is fading away here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this chapter really goes in depth into why don't the children play in school anymore? And the author does do a great job of highlighting why children don't play at school, because that's that's the big question, right? Why mm-hmm. isn't it happening? Where did the play go? And he breaks them down into four separate problems. And okay. once once we highlight what these problems are, it really makes it much more obvious from uh, from the information he gives. So mm-hmm. number one, he says that play is disappearing in schools and fading away and being eliminated in schools. Number one, because of the misuse and overuse of standardized testing. Yep. And us as SLPs could not agree with this more, period. Right. Because we see it with our speech and language students. We see it with IEP eligibility. We see it in the tiny little niche of the speech and language world. And right. it's 15,000 times bigger for general ed, special ed, and everything. State Absolutely. testing, uh, SATs, ACTs, mm-hmm. everything. Uh, America's overuse reliance on standardized testing and we've discussed time and time again, this comes from both sides of the aisle of politicians, right, not right. from educators. So we right. look at we look at uh, no child left behind from the George Bush days mm-hmm. and race to top from the race to the top from the mm-hmm. Obama days. So right. you know uh, it's very important to realize that you know I, I think a lot of what we're seeing nowadays is a, is a major you know we talk a lot about America in general uh, of really being split apart. And mm-hmm. us being more at each other's throats than ever right. before. And I think one place where that's really evident is in schools. I think nowadays parents and teachers, oh. you know, parents really want to blame teachers today now more than mm-hmm. ever. Like mm-hmm. My son's not getting good grades. The teacher's not doing their job. Mm-hmm. My son's getting in trouble. The teacher's not connecting with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we want to blame the teachers. We want to blame the underpaid, overworked teachers. But it's really all of the politicians who created these laws uh, right. that really, and don't you, you think, know, Mike, yeah. that teachers probably in some degree blame parents? Well, they need to do more with their child at home. You know, there's this. So no I think that it. you're right that there's this butting of heads, if you will. And we're playing the blame game instead of really looking at the, the root cause of why don't children like school? Why are, you know, behaviors, um, you know, one of the primary challenging behaviors, one of the primary issues in school. And I think it comes down to that, um, you know, school isn't... Um, what it used to be. You know, we're looking at, like you said, high stakes, stakes testing on page 135 in the book. I love this. It says, if it's not tested, don't teach it. There you go. I mean, how powerful there is that? Go. So we're That's teaching ridiculous. to the test. It is ridiculous. So yeah, yeah I, I agree. Standardized testing, it's caused battles, you know, yep. and instead of partnering with parents, you know, partnering with teachers, it's, it's a blame game. And what are the most important skills that need to be developed that can't be tested? executive function skills yep, absolutely. can't be tested it's can't just, be it's tested. just in, in, informal checklists and informal observations and that's why schools don't care about them because they right. can't be tested uh but you know the biggest thing to really to that you can take from this chapter is that teachers are really victims of this system 
And mm-hmm. this system is due to the, you know, the Secretary of Education and the Department of Education. And the cognitive and hypothesis. Laws, yeah. And the cognitive hypothesis and all mm-hmm. of these laws that were passed by politicians, not educators. Uh, so right. standardized testing is really a major issue. Number one, what's the uh, second problem? Second one is one size fits all teaching. So this right here is a direct effect of number one of the use of uh, the use of increase of standardized testing. Now we have one size fits all teaching. And mm-hmm. we especially know this as speech and language pathologists is you always have to tailor towards a unique individual. Anything mm-hmm. that is one size fits all mm-hmm. is really not going to work for the larger group, uh, right. especially when you have differences in socioeconomic status, uh, different parts of the world. You mm-hmm. know, teachers have to teach to the test. Uh, so that's a significant, significant issue. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, so so that's one of the biggest things. So standardized, uh, standardized testing leads to direct whole class teaching at the expense of small group learning and play. Mm-hmm. It inhibits appreciation of creativity, personal expression, student diversity, imagination, and play, even in preschool. Even in preschool, yeah. So when teachers are forced to teach to the test, it sucks away their creativity. It sucks away their energy. And all they care about is good grades on tests so that they right. can look good and they can keep their jobs, basically. Absolutely. All right. So what's three, the next? Yes. What's the next yep, one? No, number three is narrowed curriculum and concepts of learning. So that right there goes really hand in hand. Learning is defined as knowledge transmission and determined by standardized measurements. This leads to an incorrect model of intelligence and narrow curriculum that undermines other domains of mind. Play is seen as recreation and not learning. So that's exactly, that sums up education today beautifully. It's really this narrowed view of learning. You're only learning if you can perform on this multiple choice Scantron test. If you don't get an A or above on a Scantron Mm -hmm. multiple choice short answer test, then you don't know how to learn. And right, that's ridiculous. Right. And you it know? is. And to me, it's this idea that we've decided as a society that the most important thing to be is smart. And then how do we measure smartness? By grades. I mean, it's like this circular reasoning that just um, is backing us into a corner in education. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's really sad because kids don't have a chance to learn with their hands or learn mm-hmm. through play or learn through mm-hmm. trial and error or learn, you know, we learned and finished lessons with the same author that kids mm-hmm. are doing internships. They're in the community. They're trying mm-hmm. things. They're meeting people. Right. Uh, and America only wants to do this one size fits all approach with this narrowed curriculum of yep. you can only learn if you can regurgitate onto a test. And that's not really how the young brain works. All right. Then, Let's summarize. Yep. What's the last part of the chapter then, that, or the last uh, barrier, I guess, to learning? Number four is a great one. Seeking okay. success by demonizing failure. So mm. this is a huge one. So over-reliance on success for the young brain, the only desired outcome of teaching and learning. This leads to avoiding, and that, what, what's one of the biggest things, one of the one of the biggest problems we have now in this country with school is flat out blatant school refusal. I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many teens I've worked <laughs> with that literally are just getting up in the morning and say, I'm not going to school. I'm not going. Yep. And the parents yep. are completely lost and they don't know how to get the kid from the house mm-hmm. to the school. And that's becoming a major problem. So this leads to avoiding 
failure and not understanding that often success is an immediate consequence of failure. So that's a really nice way of defining the fixed mindset. Yeah. Being afraid of failure, sure. being, being afraid of trying things. Yep. Uh, and this is really what the American education system is teaching. If you're not getting A's, if you're not getting good grades, if you don't have a strong GPA, mm-hmm. you're a failure. So yeah. you, you, you need to fit our molds. You need to perform in the ways that we want you to perform. And if you don't, you are a failure in our minds. Right. Right, right. So don't you feel like, I mean, they say it on page 146 in this chapter, that school has turned into like stress factories for children? That's exactly what it is. So basically, you know, one of my favorite quotes about school is we have created an environment that fosters anxiety instead of resilience. Yep. You know, a, a student's educational journey from preschool to 12th grade should be something they look back on with fondness and an mm-hmm. area where they grew and they, they gained all of the skills needed for long-term success. Yep. And the students of today are doing nothing but gaining stress and gaining anxiety and yep. feeling worse about themselves yep. and feeling yep. worse about their futures. And a big part of that is because the education system we've created looks nothing like real life. Right. We've created this right. w- this very strange stress factory, this very strange environment that really wa- you know wants you to fit into this mold. And we learned sure. from pre- from previous books that schools really haven't changed in hundreds and hundreds of years yeah. from the time when they were just copying Bibles. Right. But you know, old school you know schools of today looks nothing like real life. It looks yeah. nothing like a job. Looks nothing like a career. Looks nothing like a family. Looks nothing like a, like an apartment or money management or mm-hmm. relationships or experiences. You know, sitting in a desk and listening to a lecture all day is a really weird thing. Yeah, uh, I, have to, and, I have to tell you, Mike, yeah. this you're going to love this because it's from Russell Barkley, and he's one of your oh, favorite yeah. people, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it was just something I literally just saved like five minutes before you and I got on to record this. And I know you're going to love this. You probably already know this quote. Executive functioning is not about knowing things. It's about using what you know for effective performance in life. And like, I just, I feel like that needs to be plastered on every school and everybody needs to memorize that. And we need to recognize what the purpose of education is. Um, It's not about rote memorizing facts anymore, right? We have Google for that. You don't need to memorize stuff. You need to know how to think. You need to know how to problem solve. You need to be an innovator. You need to be creative. You know, those are the kind of things that education should be about. So, okay, Mike, we got to move on to chapter six. Chapter six is a big one. And this is okay. one that I am this is one that I am so passionate about. He calls it in American tragedy, the death of recess. The death and of recess. Oh, <laughs> and oh man, this one right here, this is huge. Yep. And it sounds so bleak, it sounds so dark, but man, it's real. It's mm-hmm. real out there. I can't tell you how many meetings I've been to where I've just I've gotten to the point where I flat out ask the teachers, the administrators, the principals the supervisors, has a student, has this student ever lost recess time as a consequence? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And they do they do whatever they can to fumble the answer and beat right. around the bush. Right. And, it, and if, it, it's, it, if it's a speck of an answer that this student lost recess time as a consequence, man, do I have mounds of research-based evidence, evidence-based yep. research mm-hmm. to show mm-hmm. them how that will negatively impact them. Yeah. And this, so is, a, I- this is a serious problem. Yeah. So I posted on this today. I don't know on social media and it was just, it, I don't know. Oh, it was yeah. just a, it said, um, recess is a right, not a privilege. And so it was kind of my back Correct. to school reminder. And I had quite a few comments on it. I thought I would, I would walk you through a couple of these. Um, one person said that, 
um, because their child has frequently had recess taken away due to behavior, um, and he has a diagnosis of ADHD, um, that she had it written into his IEP that they could no longer do that. And I had never thought of having it written into the IEP that they cannot use removal of recess as a punishment. Somebody else made a comment that their child starts kindergarten this week and they are so nervous because they've been informed, the teachers informed them that every time they have a misbehavior, they get minutes taken off their recess. And so she said, I'm already so nervous to send my five-year-old because they're going to start punishing him and removing recess minutes, um, you know, starting immediately. So I just, I, I, I'm just at a loss. This person said, or your child comes home and says they are quote unquote bad after being on the behavior chart um, and having minutes taken off recess. So it's just, um, this is still a problem. I mean, I feel like those of us who do any amount of research at all understand the evidence says um, children dysregulate in the classroom and they self-regulate uh, on the playground. Yet, you know, we still there have schools taking away um, recess, taking away recess minutes, um, using punishment, uh, using behavior charts, all of the things that um, we have research and, you know, based on, on brain science, if you will, of how to um, support children with challenging behaviors. And it's not punish them, it's to seek to understand the why, right? Because all behavior Absolutely. is communication. And so removing recess is doing um, nobody any good. So tell us, uh, what's your and main point from this chapter, Mike? Well, one of the biggest statistics that really stood out to me from this chapter is on page 177. Okay. By the 2011-2012 school year, only 22% of American school districts required daily recess. So that right there, you know, is just absolutely blows my mind. 22% of American mm -hmm. school districts required daily recess. I wonder Meanwhile, what it is now, because that was a decade ago. A, it, it, would be, a, yeah, yeah. It, it would be, yeah, it would be interesting to see be, what it is. Especially after the pandemic and everything yeah. else, it's mm -hmm. absolutely, it's absolutely ridiculous. So mm -hmm. it, it's just, it blows my mind that this is still an issue. Right. Uh, and on page 187, you know, okay. they're saying taking play and taking recess as a consequence, mm -hmm. children are not developing the skills they need to attend to lessons right. and assignments later on down the road yep. and yet we expect more from them using narrow and scripted curriculum yeah. i can tell you that when kindergarten teachers at my school advocated for an additional 15 minute afternoon recess their administration came back and said absolutely not yep so so yep. this is it this is <laughs> this is exactly it so we and so yeah go ahead i was just gonna say do you remember mike it was in one of the previous books or perhaps it was even in a previous chapter in this book uh, where we read that uh, prisoners are yep. required by law to have 60 minutes a day of outdoor time. And that's not negotiable. Like every prisoner has to have that. And so Absolutely. we make the comparison that American students get less outdoor time than prisoners, you know, in this country. So don't, you know, we, we can't, um, um, you know, try to say that we're doing what's best for children um, with our current education um you know, a program or, you know, the way we're running education in this country. And when we really look at, you know, the daily lives of kids today, you know, school for so many kids is the one place where it's supposed to be safe, mm -hmm. where we want, of course, we want it to be safe. And all of their same age peers who they're growing up with in their same community and their same mm -hmm. zip code are there. Mm -hmm. And they go home after, you know, they go home, they have, some of them have hours of homework to do. Yep. Yep. And, 
you know, parents are overburdened, overworked, and they have a mm-hmm. lot to do. So school is really the only opportunity for them to have true varied experiences and interpersonal mm-hmm. relationships. They're right. in the home. You know, there's video games there, there's screens there, there's iPads there, there's exhausted parents there. Right. They still have to have dinner and homework and bedtime routine and everything. Yeah. Everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. School is the one place where kids can really get this experience. Right. And if they're not playing, if they're not having access to recess, if they're not having opportunity to play with their hands and learn Mm -hmm. and do different Mm -hmm. things, they're just simply, it's not going to happen. And you're only a child once. That's, and that's these right. kids are going to, these kids are going to turn 18, get accepted into a college and flunk out the, flunk mm-hmm. out, flunk out the first semester because yep. they're not going to have any of the skills. Right. The necessary yeah. skills. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let's move on to chapter seven. Um, okay. This one is called what, Mike, the global war on the play. Global war on play. So this goes right back to our acronym germ. Okay. Another chapter that discusses germ the Global Education Reform Movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a great chapter where he kind of goes around the world and talks about how the American problem is spreading to other countries as well. Uh, so, you know, we, we learned about Finland, how they're doing the right thing. And they're, you know, top mm-hmm. five in the world in education, top three, you know, number one, basically. Right. Uh, but he really goes around the world here uh, talking about, uh, he starts with uh, China. So he talks about play advocate professor Peter Gray from Boston College. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Chinese students spend almost all their waking hours studying. They have little opportunity to be creative, take initiative, develop physical and social skills. In short, they have little opportunity to play. So China, we know, has a serious issue with play and uh, there's, uh, you know, o- there's overpopulation issues right, there. Right, there's right. mental health issues, lots of issues. Mike, uh, look at page 198. I just um, saw this word and it is a widespread name for Chinese graduates is I, I Gaofen Denang, which means, this is crazy, high scores but low ability. Now let's wow. think about that for a minute. I mean, wow. that is a powerful, the fact that they have a word to describe graduates in China that means they have good grades, but they have low ability. And don't you think that is what we're dealing with here? We have lots of students who, with all the yep. added supports, with somebody nagging them every night, you have homework, you need to do your homework, let's finish your homework, you know? So we've got parents nagging. I mean, parents can get online and check power school or whatever and yep. see that there's missed assignments. So they've got teachers and they've got administrators and they've got parents nagging them in high school. And then the freedom of college comes. And guess what? Our students who were had good grades in, co- in high school, you know, had high test scores, high stakes testing scores, ACT, SAT, whatever, and they go to college. And um, we know that the United States has um, the highest um, college dropout rate of any developed sure country in the world. And so it really makes me realize that we also have high scores, but low ability in this country as well. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So when we, uh, when we look at that, it's really, um, that's, that's really a really important thing to recognize is a lot of these students who are dropping out of college are high achievers in high school. It's not mm-hmm. all kids that, you know, that struggled and go to these safety schools and drop out. A lot of these kids are young kids that were successful um, and had a lot of issues. Yep. 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 All right. So they talk about China. What other country do they talk about in this chapter? Uh, so they, like South, we, they go into South, South Korea. Korea Hong so Kong. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Lots uh, of different. India. 
Gosh. There were a few good things in here. Let me find what I underlined. Uh, Australia. So throughout mm-hmm. Australian schools, play play is being increasingly squeezed out of childhood education as a more mm-hmm. stringent academic demands are placed on students. Um, so it's not just here in the United States, right? I mean, we're yep. seeing this globally. Yeah. So according to a 2012, so a decade ago, study conducted by researchers out of the University of Melbourne, Australia, 90% of Australian teachers reported children are experiencing stress-related crying, vomiting, and sleeplessness over the high-stakes battery of standardized tests. Oh, Mike, this makes me ill. This does. I mean, because... You know, we've talked about how um, uh, stress causes children to have um, reactions as though they're ill, like stomach ache, yep. you know, headache. Yep. And so the fact that kids are stress-induced crying and vomiting, I just, I can't even. Yep. Yeah. Oh and that's, and that's, and that's happening here. It's happening here. And we're seeing yep. it with school refusal. Yep. Uh, yep. And it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's really sad. And it it's is. going to, it, it, this is going to continue to get worse. Unless yeah. we have significant change. Right. So at the end of this chapter, Mike, I just highlighted, um, because it kind of leads into the chapters that I read in depth for our conversation, um, the very last page of this chapter on 214, it says, and now in the face of all this darkness, guess what? There are some glimmers of hope. Some good news. Yeah. That play in school may in fact be poised for a global renaissance. So um, we're going to move into chapter eight. And I will tell you, there was a lot in chapter eight, but again, it was a lot of something we read in Finnish Lessons, which was our second book, I think, that we studied in Chapter Chat. So Chapter 8 is called The Finland Style Play Experiments. And I just love how this chapter starts with one quote. And here it is. School should be a child's favorite place. Absolutely. <laughs> right? That's what it says. Absolutely. So basically, That's a great quote. Isn't that fabulous? Um, so this is one of the co-authors, the American, because it was Posse, who is uh, a Finnish the Finnish author, and then William Doyle is the American author. And he just tells his story about moving away from New York City and moving to Finland and putting his seven-year-old son in elementary school there. And so it goes through his uh, experience, if you will. And it really explores, this chapter does explores the stark difference between Finnish education and American education. So after reading Finnish lessons, I didn't find that there was a lot new in this chapter, but if you had not read the book called Finnish Lessons, this chapter would be, it would knock your socks off, you know, because what they do oh, in yeah. Finland is, signific- is sin- significantly different. Um, many American students in elementary school are loaded up with hours of homework, driving some of them and their parents to despair and triggering painful family squabbles over how to manage the process. Many children lead sheltered, cocooned, and heavily programmed indoor lives devoted to academics and heavily structured quote unquote enrichment activities they're every waking minute and it's all choreographed by adults so that's kind of the american child's life but in finland neighborhood schools are equitably funded teachers are trained and respected like scientists and play is commonly understood to be both are you ready for this the whole point of childhood and the bedrock foundation of effective childhood education how powerful Mm. is that I just, oh I love it. It. It, it, it. it just blows my mind that, you know, we live in this world of information mm-hmm. and we know like literally Finnish lessons in this book are mm-hmm. published in America and read by right. American, you know, it's, and we learned that, and we learned from reading Finnish lessons that they developed their school curriculum 
based on American research yep. and all of all yep. the all the grants and the research here on child mm-hmm. development and child brain development and play and education. That's how Finland developed their award-winning, amazing education system. That's right. And it said in the book, Finland built its educational system on concepts that were largely pioneered in the United States. And here's their concepts that we pioneered. Teacher professionalism, education research and innovation, cooperative learning, educating the whole child and learning through play. But here's the difference. Here's what Finland has done. They stuck with it. They didn't just take the research and talk about it. They implemented it. And now a decade later, they are still sticking with it. And so get this, Mike, this is probably the most powerful thing that I took from this chapter, a 2017 UNICEF report card on how developed nations meet the needs of their children. Are you ready for this? The Nordic nations. So we're talking Finland, Denmark, Iceland, Norway, Sweden. They dominated the top five national rankings. And guess where the United States was? The United States, again, we are looking at how developed nations meet the needs of their children. The United States was was 37th out of 41 countries. That is pathetic. pathetic. Okay. Canada was 25th. Australia was 21st and the UK was 13th. The United States is 37th. Now let me get, here's another thing that's going to just, this blew my mind. They asked in this chapter, chapter, how did Finland make this happen? You know, how did Finland become such a child and family friendly nation? Because when you look at the fact that they, they have this thing, I wrote it down, Mike, because it's such a fascinating thing. I wonder where I wrote it. They, when, uh, here it is, they have maternity visit and, and they bring a baby box when a family is expecting. So somebody from the, 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 the government brings you, you know, does a maternity visit to make sure you're doing okay, you have everything you need, and they bring you a baby box. They bring you all everything you need to bring a baby home from the hospital. How crazy is that? And then they wow. have strong parental leave policies. Um, if one parent stays home, um, they um, will provide you with a certain stipend for up to three years. Three years of your baby's life from birth to age until they hit their third birthday. So they they asked in here, you know, they explained how did they make this happen? How did they become such a child and family friendly nation? Well, here we go. They have a strong representation, one of the strongest in the world of women in politics, women in politics. And guess what? When you have women in politics, it leads to better overall solutions for families, children, and mothers. So I just found that fascinating. Um, In this chapter, you know, they go into what Finnish education looks like. They reiterate that every um, student in Finland has 15 minute outdoor recess following every hour of education inside. So that means they have four, sometimes five mini recesses per day. And they truly believe that is one of the reasons their children, they don't have significant behavior issues because after every hour, they have 15 minutes outside. And um, in this chapter, they talk about how in Fort Worth, Texas and in Long Island, New York, they did similar play experiments to what Finland has done. And um, it's pretty uh, amazing because they they did these play experiments with this hypothesis, Mike, that more recess would equal better learning. So they gave mm-hmm. constant doses of unstructured outdoor free play. And what they have found um, is that they have improved focus in the classroom, academic performance on reading and math is improved, and classroom behavior improved significantly. And they just kind of go on to say that kids are not hardwired to sit all day. In fact, I don't know any human being who is hardwired to sit and learn all day, right? Um, You you have to have play-based movement in order for learning to happen. And here is how the chapter ended. And Mike, we have talked about this in the past. And I'm like, I just, it just blows my mind because how much money do we spend 
on failed education reform programs. You know, how many, I mean, we spend billions, right? Billions of billions. dollars trying to reform. Absolute billions. And here's how the chapter ends. This is play in its most powerful form a virtually no cost, low tech intervention that can sharply boost children's learning and healthy development. So this chapter just outlines and the next two chapters are going to tell us how to do it. And that's what I appreciate about this book. But this chapter specifically says, look, we've been doing experiment after experiment after experiment, and it works every time. Play is the answer. Play-based movement is the answer. Outside is the answer, right? So we've got solutions. So then we move into chapter nine, and this chapter is called The Great Global Play Experiments. So mm-hmm. you, one of the chapters you covered was all about how there are germ, you know, that we have this global education issue where it's not just the United States, many countries, not the Nordic countries, mind you, but all the other um, developed countries are struggling with, we need higher test scores. We need to push, you know, more academics. We don't have time for recess. Well, in chapter nine, they um, go through and talk about what some of these countries are doing to revolutionize play-based learning. And the, the majority of the chapter is actually focused in China. And they have a program in China called Angie Play. It's spelled A-N-J-I, okay? Mm-hmm. And this approach was developed over, it took 15 years to develop this. And it is now the full-time curriculum of hundreds of schools in China. And they continue to add more and more schools to this curriculum because the role, results have been phenomenal. So what they did is they basically designed a minimally structured, open-ended early childhood learning environment, and they provided kind of loose parts. This whole idea of they used the community and they took simple local materials, so they didn't cost anything. These are all donated, um, that allow children to play, discover, explore, imagine, and create, and most importantly, take risks. And they talk a lot about the importance of risky play um, uh, in in this chapter. And so the founders of this program, um, they uh, or the, the people who developed the program said the the primary foundations are love, risk taking, joy, engagement, and reflection. And they call all of those things true play. And here's the coolest thing, Mike: what the teachers do in this environment is they walk around with their smartphones and they record children playing. And so the children play all morning. And then when they come in before lunch, right, they wash up, they have lunch. And after lunch, here's what the class does. They sit around and they watch videos of their peers playing and they let the peers describe what they were doing and how they came up with the idea and what they learned from it. And the kids, they spend all this time analyzing and talking about play. And then Here's what happens then. Yeah. They draw, they go to the table and they draw what it is that they did that day. And they basically are creating complex storyboards. So that's how they build in the literacy and the reading and the writing. I mean, I'm seriously like, as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I just, I was, I was yesterday, I spent some time in a local um, uh, early childhood center as a consultant. And I had been there last year and um, had given them some recommendations, you know, how to uh, maybe make the, the learning environment um, 
less distracting. Um, a lot of stuff on the walls, you know, a lot of stuff hanging from ceilings. And so anyway, so they made a lot of changes and they asked me to come out and I was very pleased. I mean, they had eliminated a lot of clutter, reduced the distractions in the classrooms. I mean, some were, were definitely, you know, uh, doing better than others, but they're kind of on the right track, but it just mm-hmm. is still a stark contrast of these structured classrooms with tables and chairs and carpet squares. Then when I read about this, you know, this open-ended, uh, child-led, loose parts play. Um, it's amazing. Uh, it's just, you can, I don't You know. can literally do what, what, that, what you just described, that learning process, that learning activity. Uh-huh. You can literally do that every single day yep. for an and entire it, year. You can do that from every se- day. You can do that from September 1st until the last day of June. Yep. Like there, yep. that, like that, like, and, and if you do that, if you do that, think about the quote from the beginning of this, of the chapter, Yep. school should be a child's favorite place. And if you do that, school it will, will be. be, think it about it, be. Think, think about that as a kid, you will look forward to playing, watching the videos, talking about it, drawing. drawing. Yep. Oh my God. Like, even as an I adult, know. I want to, I want to do that. I know. I know. So they go on in this chapter to say, Hey people, um, in case I need to remind you, childhood is a period of preparation for life, not for taking tests. So true play allows the child through the experience of joy. And to me, that's everything. If there isn't joy in learning, children aren't going to love learning. But as long as there's joy in learning, children always love to learn. And so in this, they talk a lot, again, about the importance of offering risky play opportunities. And I always, they didn't talk about this in this chapter, Mike, but I always like to say that risky play is different from hazardous play. I'm not sure we need to give children, um, you know, guns and fire and knives. Risky play though, um, means, you know, you're letting them climb high places and you're letting them climb the wrong way up a slide, for example, and you're letting them swing high and you're letting them play with sticks. And I mean, I go into early childhood centers and I'm telling you, they're not allowed to touch a stick. They're not allowed to touch a rock. They get in trouble. They're not allowed to do those things because they can't have any risk in play. And so I love this explanation in chapter nine without risk there is no ability to solve problems and without problem solving there is no learning i mean can we just say like we could just stop right there like to me that one sentence we should be able to just say that and it should be like everybody's jaw should hit the floor without risk there is no ability to solve problems without problem solving there is no learning that's that's exactly it that's exactly it and where's the and and think about that Without problem solving, there is no learning. And we, lear- we learned earlier that it's this narrowed, structured, rigid curriculum that all your taxpayer dollars are going towards mm-hmm. and all these billion dollar grants are going towards. Where, think about this, where is the problem solving in yeah. today's education? Where is the innovative, when, yeah, it's when, innovative when? problem solving. It's not solve a problem that has one correct answer, like a math problem. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, here's a situation, right? We don't have enough money to have prom at the whatever, you know, hotel. Okay, well, that's our problem. So now let's come up, let's generate solutions. You know, that's correct. real life yeah. problem solving. Okay, yep. so. Mm, but mm-mm. but kids today, kids, there's no opportunity to, pro- to problem solve when teachers are teaching to the test and kids just answer the tests, get a grade and move on to the next thing. That's yeah. it. It's always just, just performing the test, performing the test, performing the test. Yep. Kids are grades. not asked to solve, they're not, they're not asked to solve problems. Nope. Nope. And so in the end of chapter nine or the rest of chapter nine, it goes on to outline other play experiments 
that have been held with great um, results in New Zealand, Scotland, Singapore, Tokyo, and Croatia, believe it or not. So it really is a fascinating chapter. So then our last chapter of this book, Mike, I have to say I was pretty impressed with how they kind of summarized this because they took everything and said, all right, this chapter is called Play in the Schools of Tomorrow. And so here's a quote. Someday the system will be such... Are you ready for this day? That the child and the teacher will go to school with ecstatic joy. At home in the evening, the child will talk about the things done during the day and will talk with pride. And so Mm. the question this chapter, it begs for an answer is this. How many great play experiments do we need before we realize that when children play, they learn and thrive. And so I really feel like they're being a little snarky here, which I'm actually okay with because I'm about yeah. as snarky as they come when it comes yeah. to you. If you follow me on social media, you know, I am, you know, always talking about how we have to be defenders of play and defenders of play. Know, it's so important. And so I feel like they were like, okay, so we've outlined it for you here, people. We've shown you in country after country in multiple states in the United States, how they have taken these play experiments and children have thrived. Their test scores have improved. There is no other thing we've done in American education that has improved test scores, okay? But increasing recess, reducing stress at home, reducing homework, increasing and valuing family time, um, you know, increasing play-based learning. Oh, that has increased our test scores. It has made um, for fewer challenging behaviors in school. So, I mean, we've seen nothing but positives from all these great play experiments. But what they're asking is, look, when are we going to wake up and realize that many education reforms have failed us and put us on the wrong course. So cultural anthropologist, Margaret Mead, here's her quote, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. I mean, how powerful is that? It doesn't take, Mike, you and I have said from the beginning of chapter chat, this is a grassroots movement. This is not like you can't just reform education, you know, from the top down because education has too many layers of red tape. So this is a grassroots. So the best thing about this chapter, I mean, I like had goosebumps reading this chapter, Mike, is it outlined 12 ways we can be change makers. And I mean, these are legitimate. So I'm just going to go over a few of them. I'm not going to read you all 12, but I, um, the very first one, is, and you're going to love this, Mike, switch off the screens, go to the playground with your child, play every chance you get, said provide a safe play environment, but not one without risk. Let children fail repeatedly. Let them figure out how to solve problems. Let them be bored. How many times have we said that, Mike? That boredom is the fuel for creativity. In this chapter, it says only intervene when absolutely necessary. Help children learn to negotiate when conflict arises. Talk about play and playtime practices to other adults. Cite the Harvard resource. So I have to tell you, my entire, I just, and Mike, you liked my post a couple days ago. I did my new course called Building Executive Function Skills Through Play-Based Learning. And it's all based on that Harvard um, Center for the Developing Child. Uh, they have, uh, and so they actually cite that um, that document in in this book um, about how important executive function skills are um, in children. So that's the first recommendation. If you want to, you know, be change makers and be a defender of play. The second thing is be a community activist. And I'll be honest with you, this is where I need to go because I um, am a, very much a defender of play in the world of speech language pathology. You know, but my problem right. is I'm not doing enough in the community. 
community. So to be a community activist, it says show up at school board meetings, provide evidence to politicians and school officials. Um, there is in the book, they actually list and give you the links for seven reports on the importance of play in education. So they actually give you the evidence to print off and take to your school board. I mean, how awesome is this? That they're giving us actual solutions. The third thing is speak out for play at town hall meetings. Um, another recommendation, ask hard, blunt questions of people who have power over children's lives. Ask for their evidence. Why does every child have a screen in kindergarten? Why does every child have a Chromebook, you know, or an iPad in first grade? Why are you using a smart board in early childhood? You know, they're saying, ask these questions, ask for the evidence, have them show you how test scores have improved with all of these, you know, additions of technology. Be vocal on social media. Yeah, I got that one covered. I am doing that one. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> launch right. a launch a play experiment like uh, listed in these books in your local school. So those are just a few of them. But I just thought you guys would like to know that um, this is one of the re re reasons that I appreciate this book so much is they actually give they actually give like solutions like things we can do as you know members of our community. And then the last thing they kind of end on Mike that. I knew you would just be tickled to hear this is they talk about technology in schools and mm -hmm. you have said, I know Mike, and I know we've talked about it, but I know you have specifically said in previous uh, chapter chat episodes that somebody's making a lot of money off of putting a screen in every child's hand. You right. I right. mean, that, that Absolutely. has come up. So in this yep. book, in the last chapter, they say, um, what about technology in schools? The 60 billion with a B, Mike, $60 billion, billion. and they call it the edutech industry, is rapidly turning the classroom into a digital playground that includes Chromebooks, iPads, tablets, and smart board. Yet, here we wow. go, Mike, here's the objection. There is surprisingly little evidence of learning benefits for the mass majority of uh, technology products in schools. When people come to write the history of this period in education, this investment financial investment in classroom technology is going to be seen as a huge fraud. I can't even handle Oof. this. Screen-based learning products would be rigorously um, uh, tested or should be rigorously tested and validated by independent research and classroom teachers before we ever put these precious resources, you know, spend our precious resources on them. Um, and they, they go on to say technology should be a servant of the classroom, not the master. I mean, is that oh, not the greatest goodness. quote you've ever that, heard? It's exactly it. This is this is an incredible chapter. So, yeah. so this book clearly ends on a very high note. Uh, you know, it, it does have to be noted that you and I read finished lessons first. Yes, obviously, it helps. Uh -huh. A mather, it helps. So, yep. so yep. a lot of the book was kind of repetitive to us at times. Yeah, yeah. you know, because we are we are such defenders of play. But, we but are. that final chapter right there is the action steps. That that final chapter is the grassroots movement. And what here's the last thing, happen? though, Mike. On top of giving you the 12 things you can do to be change makers, they have 43, count them, Mike, wow. 43 questions for you to ask to put your school to the test. They literally go through and say, ask your school board, ask your administrator, ask your principal, and they give you 43 hard questions that you as consumers, meaning parents, should demand answers to. And so um, I just appreciate that then the very end of the chapter, it was so much, Mike, I didn't even read them all because my mind was spinning at this point, but they gave detailed solutions for restoring play-based learning in, into schools. And all of these recommendations 
conversations came from this leading panel of experts, and they are considered to be some of the greatest minds in education from around the world. So it is well worth a read if you actually want actionable steps, right? This isn't just, hey, we have a problem because we know we have a problem. We, you and I have been saying education is right. broken. I mean, we've been saying that since we started Chapter Chat. So I just cannot tell you how powerful these last few chapters were. Again, for Mike and I, it was a little redundant um, because we had already read another book by this author. So that was kind of our bad for maybe, you know, picking another book by the same author. But Mike, here's what I was thinking we would do on our future books. And we'll start with this book. We're going to rate okay. our books, okay? Because we're going to do one book per episode now, I think we should tell our listeners whether they whether we recommend that they read the whole book themselves, you know, do we okay. recommend it? So what I was thinking, because you and I are both kind of um, wine lovers. So That's rather right. than giving like five okay. stars, I thought we'll give a, a maximum of five wine glasses. And so what I'm thinking, Mike, is one wine glass means we either don't recommend it or we're hesitant to recommend it. Or if you do choose to read it, what we're saying is don't have high expectations. Okay. Would you agree that that would be a do, one? Do that at um, your own risk. Yeah, read it at your own risk. A three okay. would mean, I mean, we recommend it. You know what I mean? Like we felt yeah. like it was worth the time and we recommend it. Now, five wine glasses means we highly recommend it. So um, what do you think, Mike? I'm going to let you go first. Are you give, giving it one, two, three, four, or five wine glasses for uh, Let the Children Play? I think this book gets a solid three wine glasses. I'm going to give it a solid three I do think, you know, the one thing, the first thing about this book that strikes you is it's really thick. Yeah, and it's. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't care how experienced of a reader you are, you see a book this thick, yeah. you're gonna be, you're gonna be a little intimidated. Yeah, and it is quite redundant at times. Yeah, you know, we did, we did read finish lessons first, so it was extra redundant. But this book really just goes on and on and on when it really sums up a lot of the chapters you know, at the end of the chapter, yeah. the final chapter and mm -hmm. images here and there. Right. It's a fantastic book. It discusses exactly the core of the problem of mm -hmm. everything that's happening today. And that last chapter is it all. That last yeah. chapter sums it all up for you. If you're a parent, if you're an educator, yeah. The last chapter gets five wine glasses. See, the, whole, the whole book together gets three. You would think that we could read each other's mind because you have no idea. And Mike and I, I swear to you, we did not talk about this ahead of time, but I also would give it a three. I mean, I was teetering between a three and a four. Um, and I think had I not read finished lessons, I might've even given it a four, but it was so, the chapters were so long. And that's why Mike and yeah. I divided those final chapters up because we were sort of wanting to you know, like, let's get to the point. Let's finish it up. So great oh, yeah. information, but I definitely give, I would even say the last two chapters that I read, um, nine and 10, I would give them a solid five because I was so tickled that they were giving us actionable steps. And a lot of times books don't do that. A lot of times books like this tell you the problem and get us all fired up, but then we don't have any solutions. So yeah, um, yeah I would say, so I think we're going to go ahead and go though with a solid three. We recommend solid the book. three. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I think and, a three and, is and what And, and we which wine would you compare this book to? Oh, okay, well, so this, I, uh... I got to tell you, I'm a Malbec. That's my favorite. So I'm not going to okay. say it's a Malbec. I would okay. say it's a, a Cabernet Sauvignon for me. I'm a okay. Cabernet. Okay, okay. What do from you a, think? From a... From yeah. a specific region? Um, well, I really... Um, I'm kind of a California snob. Okay. Um, I, okay. I kind of like my California wines um, when it's a cab. But what about you? Do you have a favorite? 
Um, I like a lot of the blends. I, uh-huh. I, mean, you know, I, I like the red blends. I definitely Malbec is definitely amazing. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, they're they're. I'm I'm definitely a red guy. I'm definitely a okay. red over white. Yeah. So, so tonight, yeah. Mike, I am actually drinking a white, and the only reason okay. is because in the summer it's about ninety degrees here. Um, today is I like something chilled, and so I don't okay. drink red wine chilled. So I, the only time I really yep. drink white wine is in the summer, and I hadn't had a glass of wine in a while, so I'm like, why not? So Mike and I are giving. Let the children play three solid wine glasses and recommend you read it, but you got to have time because it's a thick. How many pages is it, Mike? Did we ever look? It is a whopping insane, <laughs> insane. Let's see, 427 pages, you guys. So um, yeah. you have to be in it to win it for that book. So my hope is that I think Mike hopes this as well that our summary, you know, will give you enough information about whether you want to take it on yourself or not. But we tried to give you the highlights and we hope that you like the new format where we're. Uh, aiming to spend about 10 minutes per chapter. I mean, look at this, Mike. We did it. We have been recording for 51 minutes, and we did six chapters. And I don't feel like we left anything really pertinent out. Do you? We didn't. We should have been doing it this format all along. I know. But see, (laughs) you live and you learn. See, this is what, when you have mental flexibility, okay, when you have that, you are able to try something new. Chapter chat was new for us. Um, Experiment, maybe figure out things aren't working so well. I have felt like we have failed a little bit because we haven't been doing consistent recordings. But instead of giving up, which a lot of people do when something gets hard, what did we do? We revisited it. We, um, you know, kind of, we talked by phone for quite a long time earlier this week. And we came up with a, a new, you know, a better solution to try. And I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, this is great. And since I just, I, I, I've always loved books. I love the way they look. I love the way they smell. <laughs> I love the way that they sit on the shelf and everything. I figured I would, and I look, figured buddy. I would put, and take a look at this. Wow. This is every, every chapter chat book from the first one we did, the second one, third, uh-huh. the two Linda Murphy books. How cool is, how cool is it to look at all the books that we've like actually that together, read? And Mike all and I the have... chapter chat books read them. It's such, yes. a cool, such a cool thing to see. Like that, that really make really brings a smile to my face and you should be to proud be able of to see all these books together. I remember when we first started talking about this um, and you said, Oh, my wife is going to be so happy that I'm going to read. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. That's right. Instead um, of just buying books and looking at them, looking at them. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. So I am tickled that we got this book finished. Mike and I are having um, discussions about our next book. We're going to um, uh, kind of move away from anything related to Finland Correct. <laughs> or um, Correct. as much as we love Finland, we're going to pick a different topic. So we have a few books that we are still trying to um, pick out. So we will choose it. We will read it. We will record and we will let you know if we think you need to read it or not. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and check us out on Apple podcasts on Spotify. Uh, listen, you know, leave a five-star review, leave, leave some comments message Carrie, message me on Instagram. We love to, you you know, answer your guys' messages. Yes. Uh, And that's the best thing about this chapter chat community is how interactive we all are. Absolutely. So Mike, it was awesome as always. I have missed uh, talking to you and I'm glad we're kind of back on track with chapter chat. And uh, I look forward to our next episode. Sounds like a plan. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye everyone.